0: Because it's time. It's it's time for reparation. The only thing I had in common with this character is that she's black. This does not look like me or sound like I'm me. I'm sick of being a side Indian character. It's like, it's a form of cultural imperialism. How are you supposed to feel
1: that exploitation is the best you can get? LGBTIQ rights are black rights. We have always been here. Black queers, we will always be here.
2: And before we begin, we'll be doing an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the Kulin people as the owners on the land on which we meet and pay respects to their elders past, present and future. This land was never ceded and the process of colonisation, occupation, incarceration and genocide that began over two centuries ago continue to this day. You're listening to Race Card and I'm Ahmed Yusuf. Um, And today I'm talking to writer, author, poet... Magan Magan, who is just releasing this year and having his launch in a few, in, in a week's time, called From Grains to Gold. Hey, Magan.
1: Hello, hello, hello.
2: So, um, I guess we've talked a lot um, through the period of time that you started thinking about writing a semblance of a book, a, a collection of poems, to, to this point. I guess tell me about getting to this point.
1: Ooh, it was a big big journey long journey so I started writing um, the book in 2015 and when I was writing out what I was interested in in exploring was shame um and in exploring shame um, I yes I was writing about that and then I and then I uh, kind of felt that that wasn't resolving my what i my relationship with shame or how to deal with that and then after you know more thinking and more writing uh, what I realised was the thing that we carry after we experience shame is grief and that is the thing that we're carrying although we do carry shame but it's grief that's the actual thing we're carrying so we experience the shame um, and then we carry grief and so I thought okay alright this is what I um should be exploring it's a heavier subject meatier subject and yeah so
2: I guess, I guess what what was it like getting to that point? Sort of like realizing what you were trying to grapple with in your writing wasn't really shame, but but grief.
1: Yeah, it was like an aha moment, um, because I f- I feel it is the root of what I was trying to. Grief was the root of what it is that I was trying to deal with, um, and because at that point I didn't have a I didn't have a the understanding of grief that i do now um and that grief uh comes in different shapes forms it um uh and it happens a lot more than we actually think so a lot of um, a lot of time we think grief is just about maybe death or illness or you know the big the big you know um experience in life or the big kind of losses but um grief can also be quite personal you know quite for lack of a better word, subjective, but it's there and we carry it. And um, grief doesn't... It stays in our body, stays in us until we deal with it, until we confront it. And this is why the framework of the five stages of grief is really useful because we go through the, you know, denial initially where we don't want to believe that we're going through whatever, whatever it is that we're going through. And then hopefully when we pass that stage, we go through... The anger and this anger is filled with uh a lot of rage but it's a it's a period of acknowledgement and then we go through the the bargaining right where the rage is getting a bit too much and um you know a bit more you know, a bit explosive and it's getting too much and carrying that rage it's it's a lot and it's draining and so we begin to um you know negotiate with our pain negotiate with life and you know i'll I'll become smaller i'll shrink if if the pain is less and I'll do whatever if the pain, you know, goes away. And then in that process of negotiating with life, with life we begin to maybe start feeling depressed, start feeling hopeless, start feeling like, you know, things are not going to end. This is what, this is where our life is. Um, and then once we process that feeling and really get to the root of it, because at that point it's the, it's an invitation to really slow time, you know, Pace ourselves um really focus on what our problems are, and then we you know hopefully get to the stage of acceptance and that is the stage you know filled with knowledge and meaning and purpose, and you kind of begin to understand why things were what why things were happening you know what was happening you begin to form connections and, and I think that's a really empowerful powerful, and empowering um stage of the whole grief grief process um, yeah and then we begin to you know find meaning and then we can overcome and you know it, it, we begin to have like a, a, a richer inner experience a richer deeper understanding of our life and why we're here and what our purpose is and and I think that's that's the goal for me anyway like to get to that point every time there's grief and you know whether it's you're dealing with friends or you know, the loss of a friend in terms of even that might have died or you know a loss of a relationship whatever it is or you know you've had a falling out with a friend or you know trying to grapple with something your mother or maybe father has said to you many years ago and that's been with you or whether it's your body image issue whatever it is um, you know facing it and looking into it gives us meaning gives us an, a something that we but we didn't particularly maybe realize or understand
2: mm-hmm. yeah it sounds like writing the book you you went through all these cuz the chapters go through those five stages that you just talk about but writing the book how was it going through that process of of sort of like encompassing the spaces of grief
1: um it was oh, it was empowering cathartic um you know it gave me the opportunity to delve into parts of myself that, that I didn't perhaps or think about I just evolve in general I feel like this whole process for me has been process of evolving and connecting with myself and that's and that's something powerful um you know uh, but in obviously in connecting with yourself and evolving you have to go through your pain you know it's just it's, it's the same as like you know going to the gym you know working out there's you 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 have to put your body through physical pain in order to get the goals that you want to achieve. It's kind of the same thing with with um, life and problems and evolving or um, moving past certain experiences, moving past certain um, uh, state of mind, okay. perceptions about yourself or struggles. You know, you want to go through that pain in order to move past it and um, evolve and, you know, then you get the opportunity to give back and yeah so it was really empowering for me and really um useful and hard as well because i had to think about a lot of, i think a lot about my life and um where where i had been where i am where i want to go um the space between each of those space between who i am and who i want to be space between who i was and who i am and reconciling with that and then reconciling with um, who I want to be and how I'm not there yet and those kinds of feelings.
2: Well, who's, I guess, who've been your inspirations um, in writing this book? Some of the writers or or people that, I guess, clarified things for you or like gave you a way to to find language to, to, to put this work together?
1: Yeah, one big person, um, uh, major influence on me is David White. He's a Irish I love the, I love David White and his writing. But he's a Irish philosopher and poet and he um writes about life and writes about the stages of life and um has a powerful uh, ability to articulate the different stages of human a human per, a human being goes through in a really eloquent and relatable way. And so he often talks about, um, talks about, you know, that he, that we need to, that quite often people, um, don't want to have the conversations that they really need to be having with themselves. Um, and he, and he goes through the power of having that conversation you don't want to have with yourself and, um the the benefits to it and what it what it does for us as human beings you know our our life and how that is so enti- uh, intertwined with evolving um, you know it talks about vulnerability it talks about um, grief um, you know he he he, he um, in an interview once he said that uh, no one can no one can survive a, a real conversation and when I thought about that when I thought about that I um, you know couldn't help but think that really it's about your identity so when you so if your past self is having a conversation with with your future self there's going to be friction there because the future self knows certain things has gone through certain things that the present self hasn't gone through yet and and in that transformation from the present self to the future self um, there's a dying almost of the of the present self so you, in order to evolve, you almost have to die and and in the conversations that that's the kind of process that occurs in real conversations you have to let go of your ego you have to let go of um, the fantasies you've built in your head and you have to let go of who you thought you were to become who you who you want to become. And those and that is no one survives those. But in saying that you are rebirthed into something into someone um more powerful and more authentic in in who you are and you know, knowing yourself more and, and the thing about like the whole grief process is, you know, you begin to have clarity. I think there's nothing more powerful than having clarity in your own life with who you are you know, what you are, your values. You know, the cliché, the, the cliché the the is a cliché that everyone who's gone through struggle has known or something really terrible, right? You know, before that, you're surrounded by a billion people, you have all these friends and blah, blah, and then you go through something so so horrendous and and isolating, and you realise who's really there and, and quite often it's just maybe one person, two, two people or no one and you, you realise what was my life about? And you get that clarity of, oh, these people weren't my, weren't my people, you know, maybe that person was and that's, you know, the. I feel like that's what we, that's what I want to aim for in terms of clarity of, you know, you know, being in tune with reality and, um, yeah. So David White for sure, is, yeah, David White, Mary Oliver, again, her poem Wild Geese is just... Uh, it's a beautiful poem. It's a pu- beautiful poem and as a writer and as a poet... Like that poem, I go back to all the time because it, for me, that poem is about writing. And she says you don't have to be good, you don't have to be good. You just got to write. You just got to do it, and you know you'll get there. And it's just a powerful poem, and her poem, the journey, and that poem journey really illustrates um, the journey of life and what happens. You know, meeting bad people, getting bad advice. You know, not you know what that what that does for you, and you know rebirthing yourself and 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 your fantasy of yourself dying and you know coming and coming on that journey and reaching the point of acceptance it's just it's a, really that poem is basically my whole book yeah
2: i i, I want to i guess i want to start with a quote um that you begin the book with yes it's by mahir khair yeah um could you read it for me yes sure um
1: it is difficult to be naked whilst the others are watching you.
2: Why did you decide on that line?
1: um because so much of uh, uh so much of what we do when we're in pain is we wanna we want to hide our pain. we want to become smaller, shrink, hide in the back so no one can see us so no one can see our pain, so no one can see our struggles and we build walls up and um you know so that we can not be seen and so I thought that. This quote really illustrated that um, very in a very vulnerable way, because you feel naked when you're in pain, when you're suffering, and um,
2: especially when you don't want other people to see
1: you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you just feel, you know, I mean, you're sensitive when you're in a really highly sensitive emotionally. You know, your emotions are high, and you feel like, you know, um, anything can break you. You feel naked. You also feel like, you know, who who can see this? Um, and so I just thought that would be, re- that's a really beautiful um, quote, a line to start with. The first chapter
2: is denial. And yes. you start the chapter by saying, my father hits me, but he loves me.
1: Why? Um, so in the, um, well, with denial, I think it's a very tough place to be. We've all been there. And and it always seems like the easier thing to do is if you pretend it's not happening. If we pretend that person didn't say that to me or that person didn't do that to me or, you know, um, whatever didn't happen to me. If I just pretend, it'll go away. Um, And that line really is is about denial. But it's also about um, the way we see love, how we define love. Um, You know my father hits me, but he loves me. You know, uh, is that really love? If your father hits you, is it really love?
2: I guess what, what do you feel when you read that?
1: Um, just the desperation in that person that's saying that. The desperation in, but he loves me. That, you know, it, it's almost, it's almost like it's, um, intoxicating. Like, in that. it's uh, you know, it's almost like a tornado mm-hmm. and you get, again, it's like, the person is dizzy, but they're trying to make, they're trying to, um, it's, this, it's not, not a word but undizzy themselves, you know, they're trying to, trying to stop, yeah, yeah, trying to pause everything, you know, trying to make it okay, make it make sense, make it, you know, so yeah, that's why I, um.
2: I I was wondering if you could read the the poem Denial.
1: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Actually, can I read Smoke and Mirrors instead? Yeah, Yeah. you can read Smoke and Mirrors. (laughs) Smoke and Mirrors. When Ella's mother throws her out, Ella says, it is my choice. When they leave, Ella says, I let go. When Ella's lover says I don't love you anymore she says it is okay when they say no when they say not you you're different from the rest she tells herself they didn't mean to say that the mechanic hikes the price for servicing she says I need the extra service when she feels you looking at her face turning into a muddy river and her skin filling up with little holes of heat and sweat she says I wish you'd turn around Um you know we all know an ella we at some point we all were an ella you know denying absolutely everything um about our life and it's it's in all of us she's in all of us um and but it's a very um devastating place to be you know ella's a very very devastated person a very devastating person as well because you know when we don't deal with our problems when we don't face our issues it impacts everyone else around us whether we want to or not whether we intend to or not um and it just keeps on going um and it's a vicious circle yeah it's a very vicious circle and and in that vicious circle we there comes a point where the Ella in us can't deny what is happening, you know, which force and that's life forces us to look at it. And at that particular point, it's generally when we have been slammed to the floor, slammed to the ground. Um, we, maybe we've lost our house, we've our lovers left us, our you know, um, we've lost our job, and uh, we're falling out with all our friends, and um, you know, maybe we've taken our drugs and alcohol and whatever to compensate for. Well, you know, to ease our pain. Um, but then we have a, then at that particular point, we are forced to make a decision, a choice. Do we stay in this place of darkness and loss and sorrow and grief? Or do we get up and try and, um, you know, fight, try and make things right for ourselves first and foremost? And, um, and in that, at the end, which says, I oh, wish you I wish I'd turn around. You know, unfortunately, some people make the commitment to stay in that position, to stay in the denial, to stay in that place. Um, And we don't. And reason number one why we don't want to be in that place is because it makes us mean. It can make us mean and bitter. You know, um, you know the Ella in us, that person in us who's so desperate to be in denial to not acknowledge, can change us. And no one is above, above change that is negative and positive we have it in us we can transform our lives and be powerful human beings with goodness we can also go the other way as well and no one is immune no one without the work you know no one is immune from that
2: i just i just want to highlight a line you've right sure i enjoy bondage you said one afternoon is that because you'd at least come from being whipped rather than being choked in class
1: yeah um in that you know passage, I'm trying to highlight or um express the choices we have, you know um you know, I enjoy bondage you said this is the person um that is going through the 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 struggle, and in that they're expressing a choice they have. Something that you know that, that they they enjoy it. It's something that they are expressing themselves. Something that they want. But then the narrator is, or the person talking to that person is asking, "Is that because you'd at least, you know, at least come from being whipped rather than being choked in class?" Then there's that uh, um, picture of what that person's life is like. So in that terrible circumstance that person who's experiencing that is within that being within that finding choice for themselves so I'm in this disgusting terrible situation like Ella. yes exactly exactly and I've this person somehow found choice within that limiting personal circumstance
2: finding a space
1: Exactly, um, and in that I'm trying to highlight our inner personal power within ourselves, um, and that is choice. Even those persons' choices are very limited. They've, they've somehow figured out, you know, a way. If I, um, I'm gonna suffer pain, you know, by being choked in class, but I'd rather. But in that, if I'm gonna experience pain then let me experience a pain that I'm going to enjoy or a pain that is going to give me something at least. That's bondage. Yeah.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
2: I feel like um, it's enough time to move to anger. Yes. Um, you start the you start the uh, the chapter with. They should have taught you the difference between a caring body and a curious one. What does that mean
1: to you? That um, to me is t- talking to a person who's who's either people around them, or the people that are have authority over them, whether it's their parents, teachers, wh- whoever, uncles, aunts, grandparents, who were never th- who were never taught the difference between someone who's caring who cares about them. And in care, I mean someone who sees them for who they are, not for who they want them to be. And a curious one, because a lot of people like to just take, collect information about you, just take, take, take from you. That may not be a physical thing, but it might be information about you, you know. Um, So, and for me, learn the difference between a caring body and a curious one is very important for us to... um, maintain a healthy sense of self boundary and emotions um and you can't do that unless you begin to and begin to build boundaries and with boundaries it's almost like you kind of use anger in a way that's building about ba- like building a boundary um it's it's all about acknowledgement because well, when you're angry it's a, f- it's a form of acknowledging something something's happened you're acknowledging it so that's why, I thought that'd be um, good to start with. Full circle.
2: Sure. Um, I guess um, you c- yeah. Could you just yeah read the poem? Yeah, Thank sure. You.
1: Full circle. This city was dense with apathy the night Zach died. But when you saw your son arch his lower back and he looked happy in heels. You grabbed his hand and hauled his body across the city all the way to Zach's graveyard. You pushed your son to face Zack's stone. You dropped your knees to the ground and then to your face, rubbing it against Zack's grave, remembering the disgust on your face with the way Zach's hips swayed. You hollered, My heart is open, take it, do what you want to do, please. The wind began to growl and the leaves on the floor submitted to the air and fled, leaving room to see what was ingrained, engraved on Zach's tombstone. I am the fading part of the moon.
2: Tell me about that poem.
1: So this poem um, is about apathy. Um, and apathy is a, is a theme that I'm interested in exploring, and it comes... You know, it's it's a part of this collection, but yeah, it's about apathy and it's about you know a person inflicting pain on someone else, and then they end up experiencing that exact same pain. So it goes full circle, and then they realize their vulnerability to apathy. Um, and you know, uh, apathy impacts every single human being. Um, you know, some. People believe it doesn't impact them um, but it does, and it will um what do you think they think about i think there's uh, there's arrogance there's um not enough foresight, humility um not enough uh it's a person not really looking at their own weaknesses as a person, and we're all vulnerable, you know um uh, we're all going to die. We're all dying in a sense. So someone that's not aware of those uh, has not thought about those things and not cared enough to think about those things, and is just more interested in what they're, what they want, you know.
2: Um, I, I guess a theme that goes throughout the book, I feel, is um, is parenthood. Yeah. The experiencing of. Of a child experiencing parenthood, um, the parents, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I and I and I was wondering. Um, there, there are two more poems um, that I want to talk about in um, in this uh, in this chapter. Yeah. Um, the first one um, is "You Are Her Mother." Okay. Um, could you read that for me? Sure.
1: Sure. You are her mother, and she is your daughter you relate scriptures to her and she writes strange love poems to you. The balls of her feet reek of regret and your name. Her mouth stretches open. The words are moving out leave her mouth the way a soul leaves the body of a person being choked to death. You are her mother. You jump into her suitcase, hug your body and scream, don't leave. She bargains with you as though you are her child refusing to eat. The sound of your voice lathers her mind. You are the foundations of her home but you know that, don't you?
2: What are you trying to say in this poem?
1: I'm trying to um. Uh, express Um. toxic parent child relationships like the line
2: you say you are her mother you jump into her suitcase hug your body and scream don't leave that that really jumps out to me
1: yeah Um, trying to create an image of it's almost like in that particular scenario the roles are reversed it's like the mother is a child and the daughter is a mother and um, that relate that goes back to someone the mother's obviously someone who hasn't dealt with her own problems um and is projecting and um not facing her own grief and her own struggles in life and has brought that to her to her daughter um and in this there's this really strange relationship in a strange way um the mother in this poem this is a mother when she wants to, and is a child figure when she wants to. And I'm trying to, in that, um, ex-express the the ways, the many ways, or the commitment some people um, take in order to um, control an individual, whether it's your mother, father, friend, um, and they often go between. Um, it often. Be, is overt and covert depending on when it's beneficial um and yeah so in that poem i'm trying to express that and that the person that's causing trouble already knows the hold that they have over the person so whilst the victim is a lot of time trying to figure out if the if the abuser or whoever knows what they're doing do they know what they're doing do they like are they aware of this and um, I'm trying to highlight that most often than not the uh, person causing trouble knows what they're doing
2: It sounds, it, for me, it's similar to um, Full Circle in the sense of how Zach in this instance in that instance is is being controlled in how they can use their body okay. and in this instance um, the character in You or Her Mother is being controlled in her agency right and and sort of where where she can go right and and that's at the whims of her mother right um, why why do you feel that you needed to express that
1: I don't think cause I don't think there's enough conversation about um, the way control is killing many people is, is destroying the self esteem the self worth identity of so many people Um, it's an important topic and it manifests in so many ways it happens all the time and there isn't a conversation about that Um, and if there is it's quite superficial and and people have their own agendas for that that kind of conversation and it often triggers it triggers it's an intense conversation it triggers people it triggers people's own insecurities Maybe they haven't defined what control really means so, yeah, it's just a combination that I would like to have, be part of, to see happening.
2: Because otherwise you become the fading part of the moon.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
2: So, um, when I left in
1: 1999... Sure.
2: What page is that on? It's uh, on page 31. But I, I just wanted to talk about sure. this, this passage. Sure. Um, my body is my bag... I put the loneliness in it, my heart where it fits, and where does the longing lay in my feet tightly? So why does the longing lay in this character's feet?
1: Because um, I want to play on the idea of like walking, you know, you're walking, but also longing is almost like you're searching for something. So this person's searching or... um Yes, I want to play on longing, the idea of longing, I I always look at it as a journey. A person is looking for something, longing, like you're looking at something from a distance, something that you want, Um, and you can only get there if you move. And so therefore, I thought, you know, putting in the feet, because the person can walk towards the you know, what it is that that they want. Um, But, yeah, our body is something that carries all of our experiences you know, it, it is like kind of like a bag. We put all our memories, all our experiences, you know, all our heartaches, our loneliness, our inner secrets, our thoughts and feelings. It, it's all in there, and you know, at some point, it gets a bit too heavy. It gets a bit too much, and that's why we, when we have our crises and and breakdowns, and it's too much. Um.
2: There's another. The there's another part that I that I um. I'm interested in is that you say, Father? Say whatever it is you want to say. But I wanted this home to be a sweet voice, a warm hug, a loving eye. Home was like a thorn, leaving cuts on my arms.
1: Yeah, this is a person that's a a child taking back their power. You know, um, taking back what's theirs, expressing to their father what they wished this home was and it isn't that that I am with I want to know freedom like I know solitude since house being by itself this whole time not free to be who you are, not free to feel what you're feeling, to say what you're to say your thoughts so this person really reclaiming their life and taking it and leaving the house so it's it's almost like they're leaving their home to go to their home and home, for me anyway, is within me. Um, I've struggled with belonging my entire life, and I've recently, I've recently felt belonging, um, and it hasn't been in in another person. It hasn't been in a specific physical place, but it's been within me. And what that really means for me when I think of belonging is being okay with who you are, your inner thoughts, you having just inner peace, having just thinking about your life, and you're like, I don't have drama. Like, I don't don't have drama. Um, But those are, you know, it's a journey, and it's about the choices you want to make, and really staying committed to that journey of, like, self-preservation. Because the world would say what you're doing is wrong. Um, People will tell you what you're doing is wrong. You know, you're too angry, you're too toxic, you're too too harsh, you're too... um, You cut people out too easily or you do this too easily, um, you know, chill out. But, you know, we need to stay as committed to our journey towards healing and journey towards um, freedom and reclaiming our life and story in the same way that the world or other people are committed to breaking us down.
2: bargaining you start the chapter with all those years we spent staring at her lips violently waiting for the weight of her southern pretty soul to murmur what could free her your mother will not apologise though she is your mother
1: yeah this is um, a call to um, not waiting for someone's approval or someone's um, acknowledgement of what they may have done to you, may have said may, what may have happened to you, it's calling sometimes people won't give it to you, the person that's hurt you, you won't give you the thing that you're wanting, acknowledgement um, apology, whatever it is and so we need to within ourselves give that to ourselves and that's again that's taking power back to ourselves and Saying, oh, I can give that. To, I will give that to myself. You know, I'm moving past it, so. Could you read Mother? Sure. Mother. There was something about how desperate you were. How you smelt of sorrow dipped in vinegar. You were sweltering in your loneliness. After some time you turned into an onion. When they cut your bloodied legs sting the world since when has anything forbidden stopped you from wanting your body ached in two parts one for your mother the other memories carried from the empty dry land of dilla on the news this morning i heard your name somalia hoisted onto your small shoulder as if it were a heavy gun i
2: just want when you say on the news this morning, I heard your name, Somalia, hoisted on your shoulder, as if it were a heavy gun. What are you trying to say?
1: Yeah, so with um, this poem, I used mother and Somalia as a, as both meanings. As you know, you could take this poem to mean it's about Somalia, the our motherland, or our mothers. So um, in that last stanza, I am reflecting on the burden that um well somalis have when it comes to how the rest of the world views somalia versus what it's like to be somali or what your experience is as a somali as a human being but as a, as a somali person living living in the particularly living in the west um, because the west sees somalia as war as troubled um, and we do have a history of war, and you know, parts of Somalia. There are issues that are that are quite visible. But it's it's like it's the grappling with the stereotypes or the or the the meaning behind Somalia's a war-torn country.
2: The lack of nuance behind it.
1: Yes, because it can either it could, you know, a person can say Somalia is a war-torn country or was a war-torn country, and mean that it went through civil war. All they could mean, they could mean it as smile are less than. You're mm. less than. The war is representative of who you are. And so you come to this, you know, we came to this country. I mean, a lot of us did. Some of us are born here. Um, but our parents came here um, fleeing war. Uh, and then the war almost hasn't stopped, you know. Um, and so smile almost represented as a gun so you're carrying Somalia 47 yeah exactly exactly so you're carrying Somalia you're carrying a gun and then you're carrying the what it means for your country to go through civil war what it means for your parents to flee civil war what it means for what that's done for, you, for your parents and for you but then you're also carrying what the west sees of you which is the gun they see the war they see the
2: they don't see you
1: yes exactly exactly Um, so it's just, it's that struggle.
2: Um, depression. You start the, you start the chapter with your brain slowly being covered with a cold blanket.
1: Um, yeah, that's how, uh, to me, depression feels like. Like, um, it's like that, it's like a, you know, you know, I've I've struggled with depression, and that's how it's felt for me when I feel depressed. Like my, it's like something's covering my, my head. It's funny, it's heavy. S- yeah.
2: It's funny you say that because um, I was recently watching a TV show called Big Mouth. Okay. It's about um, it's a it's an animated series about young people, um young young preteen teens. Yeah. Um, going through adolescence. Yeah. Right. And one character is. Um, grappling with issues in their family life, yeah. and um, they are in a space where they've been taken to this depression room in this um, mythical place because they, they've got a um, a hormone monster who takes them through um, adolescence. Yeah, right. And and so they've they've been given a new hormone monster who works in depression. Yeah, and th- this th- th- what happens to her is that she's put in a room. Um, where the door disappears, and she's she's put in a bed, and a blanket is over her head. So that yeah, so right. when I, when I read that, I just the representation was very interesting. Yeah
1: right. Wow.
2: Um, I, I I'd like you to read fatherhood.
1: Sure. Fatherhood. Your father slammed you to the ground. Then he held you up and told you how brave you were. What do you do with that kind of love? Do you wear it like a fur coat? Children like us die so other people can live. That's what you said to Susan on your cigarette break near the dumpsters out the back. Where do you keep your childhood? Is it in your bag? Do you wait until the night gives you permission to take it out? Your childhood jumps out like a frog when you sigh, and then we accuse you of being ashamed, of being bloated with childhood noise. During your last days, you tell strangers on the street you will stand next to the sun and you promise to win. You die of heatstroke when you realise your father was capable of love, and mother said the morning sun was a presence in your room that day. You remind me of him, she continues, huffing. You always forget to listen. On a drunken night, your father jumps up and down and swears to Allah that all you have to do to get a woman to fall in love with you is wear her like rubber boots in the rain. He stumbles across to the kitchen. He pulls out a bottle of wine, holds it up against the, the light and says, I made your mother think I needed her protection, the way rubber boots protect your feet from getting Wet.
2: The line, um, you remind me of him, she continues, huffing, you always forget to listen. What does that mean to you?
1: To me, it's a... Uh, it's like... How does someone forget to listen? Is that intentional? Is it... Is it... Um, is it not... And I'm trying to, in that line, trying to kind of teethe out the voicelessness in that, in the son. You know, she's just speaking at him. She's telling him what he's doing, and he says nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing else in that. Um, because he
2: doesn't want to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's why.
2: I. I that's why I took the. Always forget to listen. Yeah. It sounds to me that he is purposely not listening to this line uh, that his mother is telling him.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Why?
2: Why was it important to put that line there?
1: Perspective. The the person that 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 died of a heat stroke, right, is reminds her of her son, and he's someone that's that struggled struggled throughout his life. Um. And when someone says listen, they're all they're giving you an order. Um, they're telling you to do something. And the the listen is really r- almost like r- relative. Maybe he, he is listening, but he's not doing what you want him to do. Maybe, Maybe. he's
2: listening, but he's not hearing
1: that that also that also because um, when, when it comes to the you know the powerless and the powerful the powerless hear what the powerful are saying or when you're protesting you hear what they're saying you just object to what they're saying you know and the powerful can create create a narrative of you're not listening and really when you dig down that's about power and who is really listening in that scenario?
2: The last chapter is acceptance. A cool breeze greets you here. Let your skin peel. Your pain has meaning here. No one can ever take that from you. You start the chapter that way. Why?
1: Because the acceptance, the acceptance um, stage is really powerful. Um, it's the it's it's when you know, it's it's when, for example, you know, say a person's being bullied for the way they look. Um, and then they get to a place where they look at the person and the person's saying the things that make fun of the way they look and they're just like, I don't give a fuck. It's, it's reclaiming your power. Um, and once you have an inner uh, understanding of yourself and who you are and what you've gone through, and you honor what you've gone through. No one can take that from you. Your experience is yours. No one can. No one can take that from you.
2: Could you read um, the poem from grains to gold? Sure.
1: From grains to gold, you must leave some things behind. The moon says to me. So I drag a kitchen knife starting from my chest down to my belly button. Then I start to pull my intestines out as though I am pulling a sink plug out of a sink. Let your childhood childhood out. The rigid trace your father left on your mother's jaded neck let them drain. The moon says to me. I watch them twirl like the hips of a person hula hooping. And just like that, I can no longer see them.
2: i um want to talk about that last stanza, and just like that, I can no longer see them is that the is that the the experience of letting go
1: yeah, it is it is of accepting um of that thing not holding not holding you back, not taking a hold over you. you know you can now walk not with your head down but with your head up because you have meaning you have you've gone through things you understand certain things um almost like it's a badge of honour you know these are my experiences I honour them I also let go of what it what it did to me
2: it's like Ella finally leaving exactly exactly um the last Poem that I just want to talk about is the old Sh- panic. Sure. And you end it with whoever it is, whatever it is, if they dizzy you, they do not belong to you. Yeah. And I just want I just want you to talk to me about that stanza.
1: Yeah, what I'm um, I'm talking to the person who's around people who aren't good for them, they're toxic people or toxic workplace, whatever it is. And, you know, if you feel like the people around you don't have your best interests at heart, you need to let them go. They're not yours. Um, And if that means... um, letting go of every single person in your life so you can rebuild your life and find people that you can um that belong to you and you belong to them and that's the necessary process. Um but it's important and they're not yours. So if you feel like there's there's jealousy or there's there's hatred or there's envy or they're just always interested in crushing you or you can't be yourself around them or you make excuses or you say Oh, I mean they're okay in this scenario but in that scenario they're not okay so I just avoid them in that scenario but I'll do this when you know with them and uh, they're just they're just social friends you know I don't I won't go anywhere else with them but I just party with them or that's they don't belong to you and um, it's important we listen to ourselves and listen to our body because our body is telling us who is and who isn't good for us you know our intuition our body is more truthful than speech because we can convince ourselves otherwise but our body that gut feeling that that feeling that stays with you is true and we need to listen to that I'm urging people to listen to that
2: it's like um, the poem from Grains to Gold is talking about letting go yeah and this um, old panic ends with now the process of cutting yeah yeah and then it ends Thank you, Muggan.
1: Thank you, Ahmed. I love the conversation. It's been really lovely. It has. has.
2: Um, Before we go, um, I just want to get some details about where people can find your book.
1: Yes. Yes, sure. So people can find my book at my website. It's www.mugganmuggan.com So it's my name is spelled as M-A-G-A-N M-A-G-A-N So www.mugganmuggan.com And buy his book. Yes, yes, yes. It's a
2: beautiful, beautiful poem. And I just want to uh, just uh, read out a... An, ins- um, an inscription um, at the back by Maxime Ben clark who says Muggan's poetry sophisticated and carefully sculpted makes the characters if in from grains to gold leap off the page in all their fever and frustration and into our hearts this book is an ambitious and confident debut from a writer who will surely see more of and if you don't believe me believe one of our shows. um Best authors. Um, yeah. Thank you, Magan.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Ahmed. Thank you.
0: Hold up.